Amen. All right, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 18. And of course, as we've been announcing, we are going through a series on Sunday mornings on the subject of the Christian home. We're going through a series called Happily Ever After. We're learning about marriage and uh, having children, raising children, uh, all those things. And uh, of course, this morning, we're going to be dealing with a subject about uh, marriage. Now, when we started this series, the first week in the series a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon called The Institution of Marriage. And we just kind of did an overview, a biblical overview of what the Bible teaches about marriage in general. And then last week, I spent both the Sunday morning and the Sunday evening service um, on a, the subject of singles. And I preached a sermon called, Are You Ready to Get Married? And we did a part one and a part two. This uh, morning, I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Leadership and Submission in Marriage. Leadership and Submission in Marriage. And unfortunately, it's going to be like last week uh, in the sense that uh, once I started writing the sermon and getting all the things in from Scripture that I felt like needed to be said, I realized there's a lot more information here than I can do in one sermon. I actually have a sermon already ready and prepared out of Luke uh, for tonight, but I think I'm going to postpone that uh, for another week and uh, just seek the Lord's leading in regards to this. So we're going to have to make this sermon, Leadership and Submission in Marriage, a part one and a part two. We're going to deal with uh, the husbands this morning. We're going to deal with the uh, wives tonight, um, but of course, it's all going to be good for for all of us um, as we study God's Word together. And I want to speak to you on the subject of what the Bible teaches about leadership and submission. Now, let me just say this uh, just by, by way of introduction. The biblical family structure is under attack. Uh, today, there are those that not only in the Christian world, but also our society as a whole has decided to be against what the Bible teaches generally pretty much about anything, but even specifically about the family and biblically what the Bible teaches about the family structure. Now, let me just say this, and you should probably know this about our church, that we obviously believe the Bible, and uh, I know all churches say that, but we actually believe it, and we actually preach it. And you, you might say, well, what do you mean by you actually preach it? Well, we preach the parts that are uh, popular and the parts that are not. Uh, Paul said, be instant in season. Uh, he, said, he said, in season and out of season, uh, we should preach the Word of God. And we don't apologize for the Word of God around here. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to teach you what the Bible teaches about the biblical uh, family structure and in regards to the Bible and what the Bible teaches about leadership and submission uh, within marriage. And I'm going to begin by speaking on the subject of the leadership of the husband. And here's what I want you to know and what I want you to understand. The Bible clearly teaches that the husband or the father, that the man is to be the leader in the home, that the man is supposed to be the one who leads his home. Now, let me just go ahead and talk to some of you guys here uh, before we get started, all right? I'm going to need your uh, full attention and uh, some of you just right now get permission from your wife to say amen and uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, start acting like a leader and start agreeing with some of these things, all right? The Bible teaches that the man is supposed to lead. Amen. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16, we see this passage of Scripture here. And the Bible says this, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. 
And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, here we have God getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in the next chapter, and that's not what I'm preaching about this morning. But I want you to notice that in this conversation that the Lord has with Abraham, he makes a statement about Abraham in verse number 19. And I think when it comes to leadership in the home, it's one of the greatest statements that, a, that, that, that someone could make about a, a, a man. And, and, and even more special is the fact that the Lord himself, God Almighty, is the one that says this about Abraham. But I want you to notice that this speaks to God's plan within the family structure. Here the Bible says in Genesis 18, 19, he says, for I know him. And again, I want you to understand the I there, the person speaking, is the Lord, is God. And he's referring to Abraham. He says, for I know him. What does God know about Abraham? Notice that he will command his children and his household after him, and that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Isn't that an amazing passage of scripture there? I mean, what to God that God would be able to say that about every man in this room, that God would be able to look down at you and say, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. I'm here to tell you that the Bible clearly teaches that men are supposed to step up and be the leaders in their homes, the husbands, the fathers are supposed to lead their wives and lead their children. This is a concept that's found all throughout uh, the Word of God. You're there in Genesis. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. You're in Genesis. You're going to go past Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, into the book of Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua, Joshua 24. This is actually a verse that we had in our bulletin this morning uh, due to this sermon. Joshua 24. But I'd like you to see it. Some of you guys should make this a memory verse. Joshua 24 and verse 15, the Bible says, here we have Joshua. Joshua is a great leader of the nation of Israel. When we get to Joshua chapter 24, he's getting ready to retire, pretty much be done uh, with the work that God has had him to do. And he has gathered the children of Israel together and he's giving one last speech. He's speaking to the children of Israel and he gives us this great, wonderful verse in this speech, Joshua 24, 15. He says, as he's speaking to the children of Israel, specifically to the leaders uh, to, that are leading the children of Israel, he says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he says, choose you, them, this, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Then he says this, he says, but as for me, I want you to notice, he's speaking for himself personally, but then as the leader of his home, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here we have Joshua, this great leader, and we see that Joshua was a great military leader. Joshua was a great political leader. Joshua was a great spiritual leader and a, uh, and a national leader for the children of Israel. But this verse highlights for us that he was also a great leader for his family because he stands up with this group of people and he says, now look, you've got to decide what you're going to do in your homes and with your families. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he says, choose you this day whom ye will serve. He said, if you need to serve the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, you go ahead and do that. But let me tell you what I'm going to do. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
This ought to be the uh, goal. This ought to be the motto of every uh, uh, husband in this room. Every father in this room ought to uh, decide that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're going to step into the role that God has given you, the biblical role as the leader of your home. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Ephesians 5 in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Once you get past the Gospels, you have Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Please do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Ephesians because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, we, we always look at a lot of Scripture uh, at our church to, to, today. We may look at maybe a tad bit more. So I'm going to try to move quickly and help you move along with me. And I hope you came to church to learn the Bible and study the Bible. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now notice verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. I'm just here to tell you, there's no way you can get around it. There's no way to, that, that you can explain it away. The Bible clearly teaches that the man is supposed to lead in his home, that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, that the father is supposed to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that God looked down on Abraham, the father of faith, and said, I know him, that he will command his children after him, that he will lead his home, that he will be a leader. Now, when it comes to this idea of male leadership in the home, and specifically Christian male leadership in the home. There are two problems that we find ourselves with. One is that we have a society full of uh, effeminate men today who are unwilling to take the lead in their homes. And we've got guys today who just are, don't want to lead. They don't want to be in charge. They don't want to take charge. And, and, and to those men... You know, obviously, I don't think those men are here. Men like that don't come to this church. <laughs> but, but to those men, if they happen to be uh, walking by as their wife is listening on the Internet, I would say grow a backbone. Walk in the vocation that God has given you. God has ordained you. God has ordained you to be the leader of that home, to shepherd that family for the glory of God, to bring those children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So stand in that, walk in that. However, another problem, and this is the problem that I want to deal with this morning and spend most of my time on, is not men who are not wanting to lead, is men who have wives who refuse to submit. Men who have wives who, they'll, they'll say, I, I want to lead, I want to lead, but my wife won't follow. I want to lead, but my kids won't follow. I want, I want to lead, but it's not working. It's not working in our home. It's not working in our marriage. How, how do you do this? How, how do we fix this? Keep your place there in Ephesians, please, and go with me, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And if you go backwards, you have Job, Esther, and then Nehemiah. From the center of the Bible, Psalms, you go backwards, you have Job, Esther, and Nehemiah. Now, I'm not preaching on 
I'm not preaching necessarily to the women this morning. We'll be doing that tonight. I'm preaching to the men on the subject of leadership. And what I have found over the last 11 years of ministry is I have spent time preaching and teaching on the subject, studying this subject, dealing a lot of time with counseling and helping uh, marriages and, and, and specifically men. I found that oftentimes the reason that we struggle within leadership of our homes has to do with our own ability to lead. And what I'd like to do, and if, if you're here this morning and you're a young man, maybe you're not married or maybe you just recently got married, uh, I want you to really listen to what I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to give you three thoughts in regards to things that you must do in order to lead your home. If you have a wife that is refusing to follow you probably, if I had to uh, guess, and again, I'm not God, so I don't know every situation, but uh, there's a very good chance that you are lacking in one of these three areas. If you're here this morning and you're a man that's married, you maybe have children and you're struggling with this. You say, I'm in one of those marriages where uh, my wife won't submit, my children won't follow. Then you need to listen because I'm about to identify probably one, if not all of the problems that are in your leadership. Maybe you say, well, my, my family's great. Everything is working out great. Well, you listen too. And, uh, and you make sure you sharpen yourself and become a better leader. Oftentimes what we find when you have a wife that will not submit, a young person in the home that will not submit to the leadership, the God-given authority leadership of their home, is because there is a failure in the leader. And that's not the only reason. And, and I'm going to deal with that later on in the sermon, and we'll talk more about that tonight. But this is where we must begin. Lee Roberson famously said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I believe that. And we as leaders need to take the lead. And when there is a problem, we need to be the first to pick up a mirror and look in the mirror and ask ourselves, since everything rises and falls on leadership, is there a problem with my leadership? Let me give you three Reasons, three things this morning uh, that every leader must do. And if, you're, and if you're struggling with your wife reverencing you, submitting you, your children respecting you and submitting to you, these may be the reasons for that. Number one, men must lead from a position of moral authority. If you're going to lead, and by the way, let me just say this. You, you might be here and say, well, I'm, I'm not married. I'm not getting married. You know, this isn't for me. The things I'm going to tell you today, they're not just, you'll notice we're not going to go to the famous passages on marriage this morning. We're going to do that another time in another sermon. We're going to look at some different passages today because to be honest with you, the things I'm going to talk to you about today have to do with leadership in general. So it's not just for your home. These principles on leadership will help you in the workplace. They'll help you in the church house. Anywhere where a lead leadership is involved, these things are going to help you. By the way, these aren't just for men. Ladies, as you lead your children and as you may lead in different positions in different areas, hey, these are these are principles for leadership in general. We're applying them to the home uh, uh, this morning, but you could really apply them anywhere else. And when it comes to leadership, I want you to know that men must lead from a position of moral authority. Now, I want to highlight this for you from a story in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5, if you would, I want you to see this. The book of Nehemiah is really a book on leadership. Nehemiah uh, comes from uh, uh, comes to Jerusalem after the captivity, and he has been tasked with building a wall around Jerusalem. And what we see as we follow the story of Nehemiah, 
through the book of Nehemiah, we see a leader who's making a lot of leadership decisions. And there's a lot of great thoughts on leadership in this book. But I want to highlight one for you this morning in Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 5, in verses 3 through 5, I want you to notice that we see Nehemiah's issue. Nehemiah has an issue. There's a problem um, as Nehemiah is trying to lead the children of Israel to build this wall, there's a problem that arises as often happens when you're trying to lead an organization, lead a family, lead a church in a direction for the glory of God. You'll have problems that arise. Here, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 3, the Bible says, Some also, I want you to notice the issue that Nehemiah is having. Some also there were that said. These are people coming to Nehemiah and they are uh, complaining to him about a problem. Here's what they said. They said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. A dearth is a a financial difficulty, a lack of scarcity. There's a scarcity of food. There's, uh, it's a time when there wasn't a lot of, of, of food and resources available. And here we have the children of Israel uh, say, telling Nehemiah, hey, we've mortgaged our lands, we've mortgaged our vineyards, we've mortgaged our, ho- our houses uh, to buy corn, to feed our families because of the dirt because of the famine, because of the financial difficulty. Look at verse 4. They said, there were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. So I want you to notice, these people are having financial difficulty, partly because of a dearth. They had to mortgage their lands, their vineyards, their houses in order to buy corn to feed their families. Also partly because of taxes. They had to pay the king's tribute and they borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon, notice verse 4, our lands and vineyards. Notice the problem, verse 5. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as the children, and lo, notice what they said, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto the bondage already, neither is it in our power to redeem them. Notice, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Now, we don't have time to develop this whole story, so let me just give you the context and help you understand. Here we had the children of Israel, they're trying to build a wall, rebuild the wall. But while they're doing that, there's a dearth, there's tribute and taxes that need to be paid. They don't have the finances to do it, so they go into debt. They go into debt to buy food, they go into debt to pay the taxes, but they go into debt to the children of Israel themselves. Brethren are, are borrowing from brethren. Specifically, the, the, the workers are borrowing from the nobles and the rulers. And because they don't have the money to pay it back, it's bad enough that they have to borrow from their own people because they don't have the money to pay it back. Now the nobles and rulers are actually taking their children and putting them into slavery They said, lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. They're being brought into bondage. Why? Neither is it in our power to redeem them. They said, we can't buy them out of slavery, for other men have our lands and vineyards. They're losing their children due to their debt. They're coming to Nehemiah, the leader, and they're explaining this. I want you to notice that We see this problem, Nehemiah's issue, but I want you to notice, secondly, we see Nehemiah's influence. And let me tell you something about leadership. This is famously said uh, often that leadership is influence. 
Nothing more, nothing less. If you want to know what a leader is, a leader is someone who influences others. And I want you to notice that we're about to see the fact that Nehemiah was a great leader because of his influence. Notice his influence. He, he hears about this problem, Nehemiah chapter 5, look at verse 6. And I, this is Nehemiah speaking, was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. He, as a good leader, he listened to them. And when he heard this story and he heard that these, this was happening to these people, he was very angry. Notice verse 7, then I consulted with myself. He took the time to think about it before he takes action. Notice what he does. And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. I want you to notice that Nehemiah rebukes these people. He says, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, ye exact usury, the word usury means interest. They said, ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I set a great assembly against them. Notice he rebukes them. We're going to not read all of this just for sake of time. Look at verse 11. Notice what he tells them to do in his rebuke. Verse 11. He says, he's speaking to the nobles. He's speaking to the rulers. He says, restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money, and of the corn, and of the wine, and of the oil, and ye, uh, that ye exact of them. I want you to notice, here we have the leader, Nehemiah, has been presented with a problem. Something's going on, and it's not right. And Nehemiah, as a leader, he goes to the people that are the problem, the nobles and the rulers, and he rebukes them sharply. He was very angry. He told them, you are exacting usury, every one of his brother. He said, restore, I pray you, to them even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive trees. He says, give it all back. He says, restore it. Also the hundredth part of the money and of the corner of the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. How do you think they responded? Well, I want you to notice their response tells us a lot about Nehemiah's influence. Look at verse 12. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to the promise. Now let me say something uh, to, to those of you that are men here and, and those of you that lead in any capacity. Isn't this, type, isn't this the type of influence you'd like to have? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to go to your teenage son and say, hey, you're doing wrong. That's not right what you're doing. You need to restore, I pray you. You need to stop doing that and you need to do this. And, and wouldn't you want the response to be, I, I will restore them? Yes, sir? I mean, it, husband, don't you want to be able to correct your wife? You're supposed to lead her. You're supposed to help her grow in her spiritual life. Don't you? You say, well, I don't know how to do good. I don't say anything to my wife because if I say to my wife, you know, I, I got a duck, you know. She don't respond like this. Well, she may not respond like this because you don't have Nehemiah's influence. You say, well, wait a minute. What's going on here? Why is it that Nehemiah was able to walk up to these people and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop doing it. Give it back. And grown men, nobles and rulers said, yes, sir. Yes, Nehemiah, no problem. We'll do it. You say, why, 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 did, why did they do that? Is it because Nehemiah had an army and he could destroy them? That's not the reason. Is it because they were physically afraid of Nehemiah? That's not the reason. Why did Nehemiah have such influence over these people? I want you to notice that Nehemiah's influence was due to Nehemiah's integrity. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 8. Remember, 
Nehemiah is talking to the men, the nobles and the rulers that have taken money, that have mortgaged the houses of their own brothers and sisters, that are exacting usury from them, and enslaving their children because they're not making the payments. And when Nehemiah rebukes them, he says to them in verse 8, And I said unto them, We, Nehemiah is speaking to the nobles and rulers, he said, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews. Nehemiah says, You know when I got here, that I took my own money to buy some of these people that you're enslaving today, to buy them out of slavery? He says, We out of our Oh, out of our ability have redeemed our brothers, uh, brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? He said, are you going to? He said, when I showed up, they were enslaved to the heathen. And I took my money and I bought them out of slavery. Am I going to have to buy them out of slavery from you now? Or shall they be sold unto us? Notice the last part of verse 8. Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Look at verse 9. Also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise, look at verse 10. I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. He says, you know, I could do the same thing you're doing. I'm the governor. I've been put in charge by the king. I could exact money of them and corn. I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Nehemiah says, you know, I could do what you're doing, but I'm not doing it. He says, in fact, I brought them. I bought them out of my own personal finances, out of slavery, from the heathen, and now you're putting them into slavery. Look, he goes further. Look at verse 14, Nehemiah 5, 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, Nehemiah says, I've been in charge. I've been the governor. I was put in charge for 12 years. He says, for the last 12 years as I've been in charge, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. He says, I was given the commission to be the governor. I was given a certain allowance. I was told that I was allowed to eat a certain amount of food as a result of being the governor. He says, but I realize that there's a dearth. I realize that these people are poor. I realize that they don't have the money to pay uh, what they need to uh, be paid. He said, and though that from the time I was appointed to be their governor, he says, I have not eaten the bread of the governor. Look at verse 15. But the former governors... The guys that had my job before me, that had been before me, were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. Notice what he says. But so did not I. He says, because of the fear of God. Amen. He said, I could have charged them. I could have taken their money. I could have uh, taken their lands, but I chose not to do it because I fear God. Look at verse 18. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me once in 10 days store of all sorts of wine. He says, yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor because of the bondage. He says, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. He says, look, it's, it costs something to run the show around here is what Nehemiah is saying. He says, look, 
there has been prepared for me daily one ox and six choice sheep and fowls were prepared for me and one in ten days, uh, ten days store of all sorts of wine. He says, you know, there's a cost to this. He says, but I have not required any bread from the governor. I'm not taking anything that is due me to the governor. He says, because the bondage was heavy upon. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. These people are poor. They're in bondage. They don't have the money to do it. And I've walked with integrity. He says, I have taken the high road. And you haven't. And I'm here to tell you something. The reason that Nehemiah had such influence over these people is because he had such integrity. You say, I'm having a problem with my leadership. I have no influence. I correct those that follow me and they don't respond well. It may be because you're not leading from a position of moral authority. See, the secret to Nehemiah's influence was his integrity. Let me help you out, husband. It's going to be hard for your wife to follow you when you're secretly looking at porn. It's going to be hard for your wife to follow you when you're a drunkard. It's going to be hard for your wife to follow you when you've got a drug addiction. I'm just here to tell I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just here to tell you that when we lead, you say, well, my, 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 my wife won't follow. Well, are you leading from a position of moral authority? Are you walking with integrity and taking the high road and, and, and saying, hey, I love the Lord. I love my wife. I love my children. See, in order for someone to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They must be able to do that without guilt. And look, I'm just here to tell you, and, 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 and it's the reality of the world we live in, and we'll preach to the women tonight. But oftentimes what happens is you have husbands who mess up because of some major sin in their life, and then their wives just have something to just hold over them. Oh, yeah, well, you did. And here's all I'm telling you, men. You need to clean that. You need to fix that. Before you start demanding obedience, you got to make sure that you're walking in a position of moral authority. See, Nehemiah was able to walk up to these nobles and rulers and say, you are wrong. It is wrong what you're doing. You should not take money from these people. He couldn't do that if he was taking money from them too. Because he walked in integrity. Because he did not do the things that they were doing. He had the influence. His influence was fueled by his integrity. Go to 1 Samuel 18, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Keep your place. Or, or find, find the one and two books in the Old Testament. They're clustered together. 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Let me tell you something, husbands, because, again, we're speaking specifically to the husbands this morning. And some of you guys should write this down. Here are your God-given responsibilities as a husband. What does God require for me as a husband? Here's what he requires for me as a husband. Number one, to love your wife. The Bible says, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. Ephesians 5.25. And if you're not spiritual enough to understand that, then he gives you a more secular way to see it. He says, love your wives as you love yourself. If you don't understand how Christ loved the church, you can probably understand how you love yourself. Now, how you love yourself is a selfish love. He says to have a selfless love. Love their wives as their own bodies. Ephesians 5.28. Your responsibility is to love your wife. How do you love your wife? Sacrificially, like Christ loved the church, and selflessly, like you love your own body. 
The reverse of selfishly is selflessly. So you say, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to love your wife. Number two, you're supposed to be loyal to your wife. You're supposed to be loyal to your wife and to God. That means you're not committing adultery. That means you're not flirting with some other lady you're working with. That means that you're not looking at and lusting after other women. That, that means that you're loyal to her and you're loyal to God. That means that you're walking in integrity. You're walking in righteousness. What does that mean? It means that you are where you say you're going to be. It means that you're not lying to your wife and your children or your pastor. It, it, your job is to be faithful, is to be loyal. Your third job is to lead. The husband is the head of the wife, Ephesians 5.23. But here's what you need to understand, okay? You cannot lead. What are you supposed to do? Love, be loyal, lead. But your leadership is connected to these two things, your love and loyalty. And while you're being disloyal and while you're being unloving, you pull the rug out from under your leadership. Your job is to love your wife sacrificially. What does that mean? That means that if one of you has to lose, you will lose. That means that if one of you has to esteem the other better than yourself, you will esteem her better than yourself. That means that if one of you needs to turn the other cheek, you will turn the other cheek. Why? Because your job is to love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love her sacrificially and selflessly. You love her and you're loyal to her. And that will give you the moral authority to lead her. To require her to follow to require your children to follow. Your, third, your fourth responsibility is to learn your wife. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Your job is to know your wife better than anyone else. People say men are from Mars and women are from Venus. People say women are crazy. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to learn every woman. You just got to learn the one you're married to. Your job is to get a Ph.D. in the wife you're married to. Learn how she thinks. Learn how she responds. Learn how she reacts. Anticipate her. You say, what do I do as a leader? Well, here's where you start. Number one, men must lead from a position of moral authority. And when you do not have moral authority, you pull the rug out from under you in regards to your ability to lead. Your wife, your children, and anyone else that you're trying to lead. That's not the only thing. Let me give you a second one. That's enough. Okay, well, there's two more. 1 Samuel 18. Find the one in two books, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Number one, men must lead from a position of moral authority. But number two, men must lead from a position of personal achievement. In 1 Samuel 18 and verse 14, we find what you would call a rising star. Here we have David. He's not yet king. But I want you to notice what the Bible says about David. In 1 Samuel 18 and verse 14, the Bible says this. And David, notice these words, behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went, notice, because he went out and came in. What does that mean? He, he lived, he worked in their presence. He went out and came in before them. 
David earned the love and respect of the people. Before he was king, he had earned the love and the respect of the people. Why? Because he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Verse 14, because he behaved himself very wisely. Verse 15, look at verse 30, 1 Samuel 18, verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth and came, and it came to pass uh, after they went forth. Notice that David behaved himself more wisely. I, I love how he, he behaved himself wisely. Then it says he behaved himself very wisely. Then it says he behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Notice, don't miss it, so that his name was much set by. Look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul went and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he accepted in the and, excuse me, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. See, David had achieved some personal success in his own life. People looked at him, they said, there's a young man that behaves himself wisely. I'm here to tell you something, your personal achievement causes others to want to follow you. This is found throughout the Bible. I'm not going to have to turn to these passages because there's just too many, uh, uh, too, too many passages to look at. But let me just give you a couple examples. Remember when Joseph brought his brethren into Egypt? Pharaoh looked at Joseph and Pharaoh wanted Joseph to pick out some of his brothers who were high achievers, successful men, so that he could put them into positions of leadership. And I love how Pharaoh says it. He says to Joseph in Genesis 46, uh, 47, chapter 47, verse 6, he says, I want you to pick out for me men of activity. I love that phrase, men of activity. You say, what does that mean? That means that they were, they were about something. They were doing something. They, were a, they, they weren't a couch potato. They weren't sitting on a couch with their big belly out playing video games all night. They were men of activity. They got up early. They stayed up late. They worked hard. They were accomplishing something. Pharaoh said, hey, I need some leaders. I'm looking for some leaders. Joseph said, what are you looking for? He said, men of activity. When Jethro told Moses to choose some men to put them in positions of leadership for the children of Israel, he says, find able men. What does that mean? Talented men, qualified men, educated men, men that read, men that are bettering themselves. He says, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. He says, set them as leaders in Exodus 18.21. I'm here to tell you something, that your leadership has a lot to do, whether in the home or anywhere else, with your position of moral authority. We must lead from a position of moral authority. And if you, you say, well, I've messed that up, then start working on it today. Amen. Get right with God today and start working on that today and start taking the high road today and start walking with integrity today that you might earn the right to lead your family. But your leadership is also, must be positioned, you must lead from a position of personal achievement. You, look, you've got to, I don't know how else to say this, I'm just going to say this and, you know, the Lord can forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, but your wife doesn't want to leave you if you're a loser. If you're an unemployed dirtbag, the pastor, you shouldn't say that. Look, I'm not mad at you. I'm not married to you. I, I'm trying to help you. Now look, can, can, I, can I explain something to you? You know the media is not helping us on this? 
Not the world's not helping us in this. You know that there was a day, well before I was born, there was a day when the TV shows on the, the media, the secular media, the TV shows would, all, would portray the, the husband and the father as the hero. I, I'm talking about shows like Leave it to Beaver. You know there used to be shows that were literally called Father Knows Best. And in those shows, you always had the husband, the father. He was a, an intelligent man, a man of character, a hardworking man, a man of integrity. And he would help his family, and he would help his wife, and he would help his children. That's what the media, back when our society was a little more wholesome, that's what the media used to portray. Well, how do they portray men today? Now they portray them as, you know, you got today we have shows like Family Guy and The Simpsons, where the husband and the father is some fat imbecile. Where the husband and the father is just some idiot. Where nobody respects him and his wife's bossing him around. That's what our media is subconsciously uh, brainwashing children today to think, oh, the father, oh, the dad, he's just an idiot. He's just a moron. He doesn't know best. You say, what do I do? Make sure you're not that. Behave yourself wisely. Behave yourself very wisely. Behave yourself more wisely. Be a man of activity. Be a man who's capable and able. We talked about this in the dating uh, sermon, but let me just say it again. You ought to develop yourself personally. I'm not. You say, what does that have to do with leadership? Hey, you develop yourself in these areas, in your faith, in your spirituality, your walk with God. You make sure you have a solid walk with God. You make sure, men, that you get up, whether your wife does it or not, and praise God for the wives that do, but whether your wife does it or not, you get up every morning, you open up your King James Bible, and you read the Word of God. And you pray, and you show up to church, and you show up to salt winning, and you tithe, and you make sure that your personal walk with God, hey, develop yourself in your faith. Then you ought to develop yourself in your family. You say, how do I impress my wife? You know what will impress your wife? Spend time with your kids. You know what will impress your wife? Is instead of ignoring her, actually communicate with her and talk with her. Develop yourself within your faith. Develop yourself within your family. Hey, you got to develop your finances. That, that includes your career. That includes financially. And I don't think we ought to be covetous. I don't think we ought to make money the goal. Money should never be the goal. But let me tell you something. You ought to be providing. You ought to be protecting. You ought to be making your, sure your family is taken care of. Develop yourself financially. Hey, develop yourself in your own fitness. Your health. And I'm not talking about being a bodybuilder. That's weird too. But you ought to have good health. You ought to take care of yourself. And as you work on your own personal development and achievements... Your wife will look back and say, that's somebody worth following. Your, your kids will be proud to fall in line. So I said, number one, men must lead from a position of moral authority. I said, number two, men must lead from a position of personal achievement. You ought to be the provider and the protector. Yeah, you ought you, you to work on your faith, your family, your Fitness, your finances. Be right with God. Spend time with your family. Love your family. Again, your fitness, I'm not talking about spending hours looking at yourself in front of a mirror. But you know, men, you know, men, you ought to be strong. You ought to be able to, you know, pick up your wife and carry out of a burning building. Financially, you ought to take care of your family. You ought to lead from a position of personal achievement. 
Number three, you say, no, this, is not, this does not sound like anything I've heard. You know, Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey, they're not going to tell you this. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. It may be that you're struggling in your leadership because you are failing to lead from a position of moral authority. Your wife knows you're not honest. Your wife knows you have no integrity. Your wife knows she can't trust you. Maybe because you're leading from a position of lack of personal achievement. You're not succeeding. You're not accomplishing anything. You're not winning anything. You're not doing anything. You're not attempting anything. Number three, men must lead for the benefit of others. This is what we refer to in Scripture as servant leadership. Now, sometimes people, they don't like this term servant leadership. I don't really understand why, because the Bible clearly teaches it. I understand that they may have a misunderstanding of what servant leadership is, and I want to explain that to you. But Jesus taught it here in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus explains what the world's way of leadership is. And the world's way of leadership is this dog-eat-dog world, this look-out-for-yourself, I'm number one, Matthew 20, verse 25, but Jesus called them unto him and said, he says, you know that the princes, the princes are the political leaders, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion. The word dominion means to have power or rule over them. He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that they are great, they that are great exercise authority. Authority is power to give orders, to make decisions upon them. He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that they, are, they that are great exercise authority upon them? Look at verse 26. In verse 25, he tells us the world's way of leadership. Look out for yourself. In verse 26, 27, 28, he tells us God's way of leadership is servant leadership. Look at verse 26. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever shall will be, notice, but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister. The word minister means to serve. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Here God says, hey, you want to be great? Then be the minister. You want to be chief? then be the servant. He said, be like me. I did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. Go to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2, if you would. Genesis, first book in the Bible. should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter 2. If you're struggling your leadership, maybe it's because you're not leading for the benefit of others. See, servant leadership. You say, what's servant leadership? Here's what servant leadership is. Please understand this. Servant leadership, let's talk in the context of the home. Servant leadership does not mean that you, you come home after working, you know, all day long, and then you do the dishes, and you do the laundry, and you, and, and you, you know, prepare dinner. That's not what servant leadership is. Now, look, if your wife just had a baby, or if your wife's not feeling well, then it might be a nice thing for you to pick up dinner, or make dinner, or whatever, help her with some of those things. But, but, but if, if, if your wife's a stay-at-home wife, and that's her job, which is what the Bible says, and, and servant leadership doesn't mean that you come home and you do all her chores, so you can sit around watching soap operas all day. Servant leadership means that we lead for the benefit of others. See, nobody wants to follow a leader when people believe that that leader's in it for themselves. 
Nobody wants to follow a leader who the, the, the employees, they don't want to follow the guy who they think that guy's just in it for himself. He's, gonna, he's just going to step all over us. He's just, you know, uh, going to make us look bad to make himself look good. Nobody wants to follow that guy. Jesus said, that's what the world does. But he says, but it shall not be so among you. He says, we should practice servant leadership. What does that mean? That means that we lead. Yes, it means that we make decisions. Yes, it means that we make choices. Yes, it means that sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no, and sometimes we make choices. But we do that for the benefit of those that follow us, for their benefit, that we're looking to lead, that they might be better, that they might be blessed. That they might be benefited. Several months ago, I was at a pastor's retreat. I was talking to Pastor Shelley, and we were talking about different things from the Bible. And he made this, he mentioned this to me. I thought it was interesting. He he said to me, when I talk to young men about seeking a wife, he said, it often sounds to me like they're looking for a slave. That is the wrong type of leadership. If you, if, you think, you, if you think that the biblical teaching on leadership and submission is, is well, I'm going to come home, I'm going to put my feet up, and wife's going to rub my feet. And look, it, it, praise God for that. If she does that for you, amen. You know, but if, if you think, I'm just going to sit around, I'm going to do nothing, I'm going to be a loser, I'm going to be unemployed, and, 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 and I'm going to have no character, no integrity, but I'm going to boss my wife around. Let, let, let me tell you something. You're going to struggle in your leadership. Leadership must be positioned from a position of moral authority. You must have some personal achievement and success in your own life. And you must lead for the benefit of others. And listen to me. When those that are supposed to follow you realize that you make decisions for their benefit, they'll be happy to submit. The Bible teaches that the man should be the leader. Now let me just say this. I believe that Men, I believe that leadership, everything rises and falls on leadership, and I think that men are the ones who need to make decisions. And, and part of the reason that I believe that men need to make decisions is because they are the ones who God will hold accountable. We'll talk about that tonight. But let me just say this, men, you would be wise to listen and take input from your wife. Amen. Hopefully you chose a, a godly wife Amen. that loves the Lord and she's smart, she's not an idiot. Now, she, there are going to be disagreements, and at the end of the day, you're the leader, you must make the decision. But it would be wise of you to listen to your wife. Genesis 2.18. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The Bible says that God created woman, specifically here Eve for Adam, but every woman that's made to every man is, is supposed to be a help meet a help suitable for him. She's there to help you. So look, don't, don't get this, you know, I'm the boss, I don't talk to anybody. That's not a good way to lead anywhere. Amen. You know, you, you ought to listen to your wife and, 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 and hear her out and, and, and take her input. And you might find that, oh, you know, oftentimes I talk to my wife about a situation and she'll bring something out. I said, man, I never thought about that. Now look, at the end of the day, the husband needs to make the choice. The father needs to make the decision. The man needs to lead. But you'd be wise to consider the woman that God gave you to be your help meet. Go to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. 
we're, I'm, I'm about to be done. <clears throat> that doesn't mean anything, so don't get excited. <laughs> but before I, what I, what I mean is I'm about to enter into my conclusion, which my conclusion has more verses than the average pastor preaches in a week, so don't. But before I get into that conclusion, let me just help you out with something. I'll be honest with you, you know, and, you know, confessing your faults one to another, can I just, can I just say something to you? Over the years, I've preached a lot on marriage, and I've, preached, and I've definitely preached on the subject of, 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 of the head of the home and all those things. I definitely have preached those things. But I, I, I do recently have been convicted of the Lord that I, I feel like maybe I myself have failed to really emphasize this as much as I should. And to be very honest with you, like Adam, I'm going to blame my wife. Because my wife is a very godly lady. She has a very meek and quiet spirit. And to be very honest with you, she loves the Lord and she would submit to her husband. And she does submit to her husband even when her husband is a complete and utter failure. And I think to some extent because I haven't on a daily basis and on a regular basis dealt with a woman that is unwilling to submit, it's just often not in the forefront of my mind. And I think because of it, I don't realize that what I have is very special. <laughs> and, and many marriages don't have what I have. And maybe I've, I've, I've failed to make as big of a deal as need to be, needs to be made about this subject. And praise God for you wives that, are, that love the Lord, you're meek and quiet, and, you're, and you have a submissive spirit, and even if your husband's not everything that he's supposed to be, you just submit as unto the Lord. Amen. But that's not always the case. And I'm just here to tell you, men, it is your job to lead. If you have a wife that submits, whether you're an idiot or not, then praise God for it. But if you, you say, well, my wife's not that, then you need to take the leadership role. You say, how, how do I know if I'm in charge? How do I know if I'm the leader? Let me give you some thoughts. So here's some questions. Self-diagnose yourself, guys. So how do I know if I'm in charge? Okay, well, can you say no to your wife? Can you say no or correct your wife? Now, look, if you are everything you're supposed to be, and sh- in, in the Lord, obviously, none of us are perfect, but if you're striving to be right with God and everything that God wants you to be, and she's striving to be everything that God has called her to be, there's not going to be a lot of disagreements. If, if you want to do what God wants you to do, and she wants to do what God wants you to do, there's not a lot of conflict there. You're both just doing what God wants you to do. You know, I'm not saying that you need to just be just this negative person, just always telling your wife, No. You know, I believe that we as leaders ought to treat those that we follow as we want God to treat us. So when it comes to my children, you know, they ask for something. If if I'm able to and it's a good thing for them and it's not going to hurt them or it's not going to cause them pain or or, or teach them a wrong lesson, hey, I want to try to answer their prayers. Why? Because I want my Heavenly Father to answer my prayers. And, and so, you know, you, I think you should want to love your wife and, and try to meet her needs and, and make her happy. All those things are good. But let me tell you something. What makes a leader a leader is the fact that he can say no. If you never say no, you're not the leader. And look, you got to diagnose yourself, guys, because if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I never say no to my wife because if I say no, it becomes this big ordeal. I can never correct my wife. I can never tell my wife, hey, that's not right. That's wrong. I don't want you doing that anymore because it just becomes this big old thing. 
and I'm, I hate to break it to you, but you're not in charge. Can you say no to your wife or correct your wife? How about this? Do you have to get permission from your wife? Does she boss you around? If that's the case, you're not in charge. Do you have to be careful about how you approach your wife because of how she may respond and walk on eggshells around her? If that's the case, you're not in charge. Now, look, I'm going to preach to the ladies tonight. Now, some of you men, your first test of leadership is going to be getting your wife here tonight for her turn. (laughs) Your wife's already like, (laughs) you're like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Does your wife do things behind your back or without your permission? I'm just trying to help you diagnose. Are you, are you in charge? Who wears the pants in this home? Who's the leader? Who's in charge? Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let me let you in on a little secret. I'm talking to the guys. The ladies know this. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that every woman knows. Every woman has always known this. And, 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 you know, the feminists don't want you to know this. In fact, the feminists will deny this and scream and yell about how this is. That's not true. You ever notice when you, when you, say, when you speak truth to someone that, doesn't hate, that hates the Lord or doesn't love the Bible... The, the bigger reaction you get from them, the more you realize, like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> let me let you in on a little secret. Genesis 3.16. And to the woman, he said, this is God, I will greatly multiply the conception. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned. God's given them their punishments. In sorrow that shall bring forth children. I want you to notice what God says to Eve. And he says this to the Eve. The mother of mankind, and this is true of all women, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Do you know that God has put a God-given desire in every woman to submit to a strong man and love and respect him? You say, well, I've got some short-haired woman I work for, and she says she hates men. Well, she may be a reprobate, but if she's not, <laughs> she's lying. Because everyone, you know, you, you say, prove, prove it. Well, the Bible proves it, but let, let's, let's look at some secular thoughts, okay? Why is it that every, every fairy tale, every story that's been told throughout history has a damsel in distress that is looking for her knight in shining armor? Every woman wants a knight in shining armor. Every woman has a desire put. Now you say, well, my wife, well, maybe because you've hurt her too much. Maybe because your lack of character and integrity, because you're not achieving what God has called you to achieve. Maybe because you're serving yourself and you're not leading for the benefit of others. And that's what we've been talking about. But here's what I'm here to tell you. Every woman has a desire to be led by a strong man. You can even see it in a worldly sense. And this is a sinful thing. But even in a sense, why is it that all these romance novels, which romance novels are are wicked as hell, by the way, and you shouldn't be reading them, ladies. 
Let me just make the point. Why is it these romance novels never have some, you know, some guy with a pink shirt and skinny jeans? You know, just the hero. It, why is it always some tough guy? Some strong man. You know why? Because every woman has a desire to be led by a strong man. My wife says that's not true. Your wife's lying. God put a longing in every woman, whether she wants to admit it or not, to willingly submit herself under the authority of a man that she loves and respects, of a man that provides for her and protects her. Every girl wants a knight in shining armor. Let me say this. Go to Proverbs 21. You open up your Bible just right in the center. You're more than likely following Psalms. Right after Psalms, we have Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs, and we're going to look at First Timothy, and then we'll be done, all right? Women will never be satisfied while rebelling against their God-given authority, their husband. They never will. You want to know who are the most miserable women in this world? See, the feminist movement wants to tell you, the most miserable women in this world are those women that, you know, uh, have children, they stay, ho- they stay home, they're homemakers, they homeschool their kids, and, uh, they, they have a husband that goes to work, and they live off of one single income. Those are the most miserable women in the world. That's not true. The most content and fulfilled woman on this earth is a woman that knows that her husband loves her and respects her and honors her and is loyal to her and goes out to work and works hard every day to provide for her and her children and protects her and her children. That woman is satisfied. You know the most miserable woman in this world? The most miserable woman in this world is the one who's rebelling against her husband. You say, I don't believe it. Okay, Proverbs 21, look at verse 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop. This is the biblical way of saying having a man cave. Your man cave where you go run from your wife. Let me tell you something. I don't want to have a man cave. I want to be the king of the palace. I want to be comfortable in the whole house. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. You think this woman's content? This woman's miserable. Proverbs 29, 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness. Some of you ladies are going to find out why your husband's always trying to go camping and hunting. Get out of town, get out of Dodge. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. This woman's not content. She's not happy. She's contentious and she's angry. She's bitter and upset because she's not submitting herself under the authority of her husband or because her husband has failed to lead from a position of moral authority. Because her husband has failed to lead from a position of personal achievement. Her husband has failed to lead in a way that benefits her and her children. And because of that, she's rebelling and she's not happy, he's not happy, no one's happy. He's off in the corner of some housetop while she's throwing a fit downstairs. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Find the T books. They're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You say, what do I do? 
my wife won't submit. What do I do? That's how guys talk then. I don't know what to do. Stop talking like that, first of all. Good night. What do I do? Start walking in moral authority. Get right with God. Start walking in integrity. Start achieving personally. Start being a success. Start trying to accomplish more. In your faith, in your family, in your finances, your personal health. Start leading, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And I'm here to tell you, men, do not allow it. 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, let the woman learn in silence without subjection. The Bible consistently teaches that wives are to submit and that they are to be in subjection. But I suffer not. You see that word suffer, it's an older word. It means allow. That's what Paul said. Paul said, but I suffer not. He says, I allow not a woman to teach. He said, here are the things I don't allow women to do, Paul says. I allow not a woman to teach. He's talking about a woman teaching within a church service or public gathering. The Bible does not allow it. I don't care what Joyce Meyer says. God doesn't allow it. But I suffer not a woman to teach. Notice, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. The word usurp means to take illegally or unlawfully a place or a position that does not belong to you. Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. Let me, let me just end by giving you some, some thoughts, you, you guys. First of all, you guys that aren't even married yet. Here's step one. Marry a girl with a meek and quiet spirit that loves the Lord. Amen. Now, you still ought to lead from a position of moral authority. You still ought to lead from a position of personal achievement. You still ought to lead for the benefit of others. You still should do all those things. But here's the thing. Even when you're not the greatest, you know, leader... If you marry a young lady who loves the Lord, who has a meek and quiet spirit, then you will more than likely be fine. She's going to submit to you, not because you deserve it, but because she's submitting to you as unto the Lord, and she actually loves the Lord. That's the best advice I could give a guy that's not married. Just find a girl with a meek and quiet... Look, if she's loud and obnoxious, go running and screaming in the other direction. If she yells at her dad, go running and screaming in the other direction. Get as far away from that as possible. The Bible says a meek and quiet spirit. May I grow with a meek and quiet spirit that loves the Lord. That's what I did. And when I have failed as a leader, and there's been many a time that I have failed as a leader, she's submitted because she's, not, because she's submitting herself to the Lord. Praise God for it. But here's step two. You say, well, I'm already married and I'm already messed that up. I'm married to loudmouth Betty over here. If you have a wife that is not submitting, then you ought to work hard at the three things we've talked about. Gaining or maintaining moral authority, developing personal achievement and success, practicing servant leadership. And give it time. Psalm 18.35 says, Thy gentleness hath made me great. Jacob said, I will lead on softly. Give it time. And when it comes to giving things time, give it more time than you think. Sometimes I talk to guys, and I'm like, well, how much time has it been since you've been, you know, been, been trying to work on yourself and get right with the Lord? And, oh, it's been a long time. How long has it been? Uh, four days. <laughs> Give it four years. 
He's given four months. Be gentle. But let me just say this. In the rare event that you've thoroughly done these things for a long time, you say, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I have tried to walk in moral authority, and I've worked on myself and, 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 and tried to be the man that God has called me to be and be a man of activity and a capable leader, and I've practiced servant leadership, and I've been doing it for years, and I've been consistent and faithful, and my wife will not submit. She will not obey. She will not come under my authority. What do I do? Well, here's what Paul says. I suffer not a woman to usurp authority. Because you say, well, I don't understand. Here, here's the thing. Here's what you need to get. If you are not leading, you are miserable and your wife is miserable. And you say, if you work on all the things we talked about and she still won't follow, you're miserable and your wife is miserable. Uh, it doesn't take a brain you know, surgeon to figure this out. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out. Here's all I'm saying is, is if, if I'm going to be miserable either way, then I'm going to be miserable in charge. It, you say, I've been, I've been leading softly. I've been being gentle. I've been working on these things. I've been working on myself, and I've been working on my personal development, and I, I got us out of debt, and I, I, I got a better career, and I, I, I've been providing, and I've been protecting, and I've walked in integrity, and walked in moral authority, and I've loved the Lord, and I'm faithful to church, and I come to church even when she doesn't come, and I, and I read the Bible even when she doesn't read, and I, I, I do what I'm supposed to do. I've been doing this for a long time. She still won't submit. Then you need to just take that bull by the horns and make her submit. Because if you're, look, if, if, if she's miserable when she's in charge and she's miserable when you're in charge and you're miserable when she's in charge and you're miserable when you're in charge, then if, I, if you're going to be miserable either way, at least be miserable in charge. At least be miserable and say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. At least have God look down on you and give you some respect and have God look down on you and say, I know him. That he will command his children and his household and his wife after him. But I've got a sneaky suspicion that if you work on your moral authority and you give it time, you work on your personal achievement and you give it time, you work on serving for the benefit of your wife and your children and you give it time, I've got a sneaky suspicion that over time she'll be happy come under the authority of a man that she loves and respects. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I realize there's an attack on the nuclear family today. I realize the things that I've said today are not popular. People don't want to hear it. I pray you'd help us. Lord, I thank you for the ladies that have a meek and quiet spirit. They submit to their husbands, not necessarily because of their husbands, but they do it as unto the Lord. And that's really the real reason and the true reason they ought to do it. And I thank you for them. I thank you for my dear wife, the wonderful Christian wife and mother she's been in our family. But Lord, I pray that the men in this room today would rise to the call. They would figure out maybe where they're missing. 
Maybe they're not leading from a position of moral authority. The past is the past. There's nothing that can be done about that, but they can move forward with God starting today. Maybe they're not leading from a position of personal achievement. They're not providing. They're not protecting. They're not doing the things that they should be doing as men. They're not men of activity. I pray you'd help them to rise to that call. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us as leaders to not lead for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that we follow, that follow us. And Lord, I pray you'd give us biblical marriages, strong marriages, husbands and wives that love the Lord and love each other. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.